You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! We were driving along and we, we saw a drug deal go down. It was a college kid selling to another college kid. We pull over and we ask him, what's in your pocket? And he's like, nothing, nothing in my pocket. Do you mind if I search you? No, you can't search me. Do you mind if I search you? Okay, this is the police. I'm just documenting this. Um, can I search you? No, I can't search you. Has the acid the hit yet? So, no, he was the dealer. I'm saying for you. <laughs> like how crazy would that be <laughs> oh god could you imagine so what this guy in his head thought was that if i pee in my pants they're not going to search my pockets so right there on camera he peed in his pants it's not suspicious at all <laughs> no not suspicious at all so you know what the, you know what the cop did put on a rubber glove <laughs> Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, Corey? And I'm all good. Uh, yeah, doing great. Uh, we got a great episode today. Very cool. Uh, an old friend of Ben's who happens to be actually genuinely interesting. Uh, Paul, Paul, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Haber. I thought it, it was even more impressive that he was real. Yeah. He, he Most of my friends are fictitious. <laughs> oh, this guy, Paul Haber, he's, uh, he's an investigative journalist up in Canada. This guy. And uh, absolutely fascinating career. Um, and and just, a, just a, a wealth of information, really. Yeah, no, he had so many stories of, I mean, lots of different experiences across the whole spectrum of journalism, TV, news, cop type shows. I mean, just about every facet that you can think of in terms of TV. And only to perpetuate the Canadian ideal, he is very, very, very thoughtful, um, seems to be very non-biased and deep thinking. Who would have thought? And he speaks slowly and clearly. Yeah, he, he definitely stood out on this show. <laughs> but uh but check him out this this episode is it's great learn learn some of the behind the scenes stuff on how how your favorite like news networks and and production stuff works check it out paul haber part one ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of 2020 where we may be socially distant, but still socially relevant. I say that because who knows? We could be on lockdown by the time this is airing again. Like, it could be totally fine. Who knows? My name is Benny Goodman. I'm here with my cohorts uh, in this debauchery. Uh, first and foremost, my lady friend and excellent virtuoso violinist. Also next door to a guy uh, producing hip hop at this exact moment <laughs> in time. Siobhan Cronin. Oh, Ben, that was such a nice intro today. The last few you've been like not so wordy. So that was nice. Thank you. Not so wordy. I thought that not that so was <laughs> nice. You're, you're giving me mixed signals here. Yeah, the less words, Depends the Depends on the mood. Yeah. yeah. 
And then the voice that you just heard, the lovely baritone, is Corey Pesa. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. What a nice tee he. And I'm so, ex- I'm so excited. I've known this guy since 1994. I know. It's crazy. I've known him. He was my camp counselor at a Jewish overnight camp in New Hampshire. And he's... <laughs> And we both grown to be very different, uh, you know, trees, if you will. But he's my Canadian friend who is a, a, a ridiculous world-class skier. He's a daredevil that you can, like, strap things to him and he'll hang from a plane or a helicopter. He is a unbelievable director um, of photography, of shows, producer. He's kind of a man of a lot of different things. He's one of those dudes that's kind of, like, manifested everything he likes and then just kind of gets paid to do it. So we're going to find out exactly what that is. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my Canadian friend from up above, Paul Haber. Hello. Thank you. Super excited to be here. Um, You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, as Benny just said, uh, we go back. We go back a long time. And, you know, as we don't see each other much, but we keep in touch, luckily, because of social media, stuff like that. And, you know, like the bond's still there. That's the best way to keep a bond with Ben is just not to see him very much. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, Ben doesn't really let go of the bond ever. So it's kind of hard to shake him off. I'm sure. You know, you know the joke, right? Like what's the difference between a pit bull and a Jewish mom? No. What is it? A pit bull eventually lets go. (laughs) Are you calling yourself a Jewish mother? Like we, we're, 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 (laughs) We're have a camaraderie that like, you know, like it's like the seeing the metal head amongst all the Dave Matthews band guys, <laughs> like seeing like the one guy with the Megadeth shirt, like looking all confused and is black and everyone else is all like Abercrombied out. You're like, oh, it's the same thing. Like you the stand Jews out, but you fit in. You fit in like with <laughs> the other weirdos. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I ended up at that place by fluke. Really, is you know, I was looking for a job. I needed more pay than they could pay me in Canada because I had to pay for university. So what better go to the U S where boom, you get an instant 30% bump on your dollar. So I ended up in New Hampshire. At that time. Yeah. At that time. It wasn't (laughs) so so loony back then. It wasn't so loony. So, uh, you know, it was a complete fluke that I ended up at that camp. They were looking for somebody. I was looking for something to do. And, and, uh, Bob's your uncle. I ended up there. So, (laughs) Yeah, that's going back to my university days where I was on waterfront staff. I was a swim instructor. I taught water skiing. Those were the best days ever. It was literally like one of those crazy, it, it was like a summer movie. It's like I learned how to water ski there. It was like elitist Jewish camp, you know, where we like had, it was very nice. It was very, very but, but nice. But, pe- like, but the people weren't like that. The people, no, the were people weren't, cool. but I'm just saying by comparison to like what a lot of people are privy to this was totally like white picket f- fence yeah, yeah my, beautiful my, summers my summer camp was uh like dodgeball and like a splintery swing set at the, the <laughs> local like elementary school so uh, <laughs> we, we were we were lacking in that uh the water skiing department and uh siobhan where stuff. did you vacation <laughs> where did i vacation I really didn't vacation much growing up, but yeah. I did go to summer camp, but it was it was probably somewhere in between your version of summer camp and Corey's version of summer camp. It was like free spirit artsy summer camp <laughs> where you did like pottery and then like went swimming and did stuff like that. But it's all the same. It's all relatively you meet people and, you know, sometimes you make bonds for the rest of your life. Some of my closest friends are camp friends. So, wow, that's great. To, to me, camp was the one of the most important influential times in my life. And being a counselor, being an instructor, a counselor, 
I, I like hoped as a young, dumb kid, I hope to like instill some of that onto the kids that I live with. So, and, and, and the, and the weird part was that you had like a group of people like our, our buddy Hillel and, um, there's like a whole group of people, Josh Marmer and, yeah. uh, the, you guys, like, it's funny. Cause like I've gone and done like all the, these artistic things, but like, I feel like the, um, the catalyst to a lot of that was going away and having a bunch of guys going, uh, dude, you gotta listen to Jerry Garcia. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And then, you know, one guy's going, listen to Van Halen. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But then, you know, we're, you guys are telling me about life and all this stuff. And I, I was so um, gl- grown up in a bubble, like in a very, you know, upper middle class um, Jewish neighborhood where like everything was fine and everyone waved at each other. Like, so I didn't know the world at all. And, you know, this whole like outside, like meeting older people, older dudes that were like yeah man you can go and party and hang out with jerry and both it was like one of the first actually it was the reason i bought tickets to the first concert i ever bought tickets to which was uh the grateful dead with bob dylan in vermont in 1995 and it was one of the first concerts dylan and um, the dead. yeah and ironically it was one of like the 10 concerts that like jerry uh ended up having to cancel because he died so <laughs> Mm-hmm. I never well, went. Way to start it off I on a positive it. note. I missed it. Sorry, guys. I literally missed the dead by that much. So that, All right, that's well, Ben, enough about you. Back. That's going way <laughs> back. So now, now, you know, let's jump to the present, you know, and there's a whole bit of meat in the sandwich. Now, I, uh, now I'm an investigative journalist. And the show is like a Canadian, it's, believe it or not, like 2020, Dateline, it's that type of show. And our show existed before those shows existed. So in Canada, in, in Canada, exactly. <laughs> so we really we're in our fifty fifth season right now. I haven't been there. Oh for my gosh! Years, wow. How many years? You guys, do you guys follow the same calendar system as us here? We do. Our like our <laughs> yeah, and our season goes from so fifty five seasons. April. Is that like in Survivor seasons or is that in like <laughs> real year seasons? <laughs> That's real year seasons. Oh shit! We have That's a, a we have time. a September to April run once a year. We go, we do it. Um, and it's pretty much, you know, for the most part, we, we look to find bad people. We look to, we look to bring important issues to light. We look to... Can you give us an example? Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. That's one more day of editing and then airs next week is video game addiction. Mm. So, oh, yeah. Well, video game addiction, <laughs> but, but there's different levels. There's, there's, and it's growing because say. of the pandemic. Like there yeah, is can imagine. levels. Yeah, like my husband started here and now he's about here. <laughs> right. But there's a lot of people who just can't stop. And when they do stop, they become so depressed that mm. suicide pops into their mind or, you know, it destroys their schooling. It destroys their relationships where they absolutely have nothing. Some people stop eating. Some people stop showering. Some people just cannot get unfixated from a game and... That's an issue. Yeah. So investigative journalism is uh, it's a pretty intense field. Like, uh, let's take it back. What led you into that world? So what led me to that is actually let's 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 rewind, say <laughs> let's rewind like way, way back. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a biologist, believe it or not. Say, your biology degree. Was yeah. Clearly I, in use. So I studied biology and, and my ultimate goal was to go into medicine. I wanted to be a doctor. And then come university, you know, I finished my undergraduate degree and I'm like, I cannot handle another 10 years of school. That's just, it's just not for me. 
Mm-hmm. So somebody offered me a job right out of school in, in television production, you know, as the pretty much the assistant floor sweeper. I swept floors and learned a tremendous amount and like eventually became an assistant to the producer, which, you know, was a glorified coffee boy <laughs> and just like slowly but surely started chugging my way along. And I, I applied for a job at Discovery Channel and I landed it. And I started there. That's where like it really took off from there, making documentaries. So when you got that first job, did you like how long did you stick around and wonder, like, is this something I actually want to do? Like, at what point did you realize that you did actually want to pursue that as an interest? Because obviously you're coming right out of school thinking about being a doctor. You end up at a job that's sort of like bottom level. You know, I feel like I would just get burned out. So I would get burned out so quickly and be like, there's so many levels between here and where I want to be, you know. So it's interesting. yeah. And, and, and to tell you the truth is even though I was at the bottom level, I saw the potential and I realized like how much fun people have. Yes. We work like 14 to 16 hours some days. Yeah. But we're having, we're having a good time doing it. Yes. We're exhausted, but we always manage to have a drink after work. We always manage to be able to, you know, alcoholism. It all, yeah. It's one thing you can count on. Yes. Especially as a Canadian. <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm gonna have my first one now, if that's okay. Oh, please, please no, go for it. I've been drinking it on this show. Uh, All right. This show. And this so, is a beer um, I brought back from Quebec over Christmas break. Is it? Is it a poutine beer? It is not a poutine beer. That would be. Um, I'm not sure how I feel okay. about that. Yes. I think poutine and beer should be separated. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't. I. I think there's a lot of people that think that cheers, mayo guys. and anything to do with like. Cheers. Uh, yeah. Cheers, dude. <laughs> with fries should be separated but like you know there are heathens out there for um for the you know when you started in in the television area yeah what aspect of it caught you the most like was it production stuff or the actual journalism aspect or you know what what drew you in you know what it's probably the same as music and i'm just taking i'm just taking a stab here you know you have a tight group of people where your creative energy is all put into one place you're, you're working hard to get to a certain level. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of ups. There's a lot of downs. But you all work together to make it happen, to make something sound beautiful. Same as in television. You know, like we're all sort of have the same goal of we have obstacles. We have troubles. We have problems. We, we work together. We work long hours. And we put our product that we all feel proud of. And at the end, it's that, that product that's like, makes me happy and makes you want yeah. to go back and keep doing it and you want to get better every time so yeah. it, correct me if i'm wrong is that the same in music absolutely i think any any, any career or, or job or project where you have something to show for your work at the end of it is i think the best job in the world like where you because you know I, I worked a nine to five i actually worked in radio uh for 10 years and i basically Aside from doing some talk show stuff, I, I kind of get sucked into the more corporate side and I would get out of work and the next morning I'd go in and there'd be the same pile of work to do. I'd get out of work mm-hmm. that day. The next morning there'd be the same pile and it, there was nothing the There was no loop. nothing to build upon. Uh, so I think with music and, and television, especially like uh, investigative journalism, where you're actually going to you're, you're kind of going after a goal and producing something that then you get to present to the world. There's a huge sense of accomplishment with that. Right. Absolutely. It lives forever, which is, uh, you know, 
somebody a thousand years from now could see something. But I think you're missing something, at least maybe it's different in Canada, because a lot of the people I've met in Canada are all very even uh, keeled and you guys are all like chill and relaxed out there. <laughs> but like talking to someone like Drew Ann Rosenberg, who's an, a big time AD out in California, mm-hmm. it sounds like the director has a different view than the producer has a different view than the actor. And it's a constant level of discourse and that you know, because art is subjective, like three people may have three different views, which is why you have like these different directors cuts and, you know, this guy didn't like working with that guy or, but, and it seems to me like your story functions under the assumption that everyone's getting along going, he, and everyone looks at the final vision and it's great. Like, is there any kickback? Like, is there a producer? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. There, there's, there's, there's kickback, but you know, I've been lucky that there's been mutual respect with everybody and, you know, you take everybody's consideration, you listen to what they have to say. Sometimes you have to, yeah, sometimes you have to a little arm wrestle, <laughs> but it really, you know, ultimately it comes down to one final person. But I try and listen to everything that everybody says, you know, from our, ultimately just usually like a shootout, like a good old fashioned hockey shootout shootout. Like, isn't that what you do in Canada? It you could just, be. It definitely could be. Yeah. Put on your mask. <laughs> yeah. Put on your mask and take a slap shot and hope I mean, you I don't see lose you got, you got your, your, your jersey back there and you're ready to go. You got it. I know. <laughs> my, so let me my, ask my you. jersey, my exercise bike. I know. We saw that when we first got on. Very yeah. cool. Um, so what was your first kind of stab at doing something creative in the job that you had? Because like you said, you sort of started at the entry level doing stuff that probably wasn't related to any production. So what was kind of your first step into actually getting to do something that excited you in that? Realm? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. You know, I, you know, I would say from day one, there was always like a little tapping of creative energy here and there. It's like, oh, do you, do you have what can we do here? What can we do there? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. But it really started to, to click for me is when, you know, I started off, my first job was in, it's like a talking head show. It was more like a PBS mm-hmm. news type show, whereas, where I got to the level where it's like, you could go find your own guest to talk about this, this topic and, you know, bring in somebody who you feel would be good at explaining this. So like uh, talking, talking about it, like a, if I make a phone call to a U.S. senator, because it was a Canadian-U.S. inter, uh, it was a Canadian-U.S. relations show. Uh, slightly boring, in my opinion, but, you know, people loved it. So when I was able to get the people that I wanted on and, the, and hear their opinions, that's when it really started clicking for me. And then from there, the jumping off point was... I got really sick of that job and I wanted to melt my science with TV and discovery channel was like the perfect match. And I was there for a while, you know, doing all kinds of documentaries from technology to animals, to elephants. It was Can you give us an example of like some documentaries that you've done with discovery channel that maybe us stoners who watch everything that's on the discovery channel, <laughs> like uh, have watched. So we can be Absolutely. like, yo, that's Paul. That's yeah. Paul, man. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I think they aired in the U.S. I'm not sure, but again, this is going back a bit. So one of my one of the most fun projects I did was behind the scenes of things, the Inside Out, and it was actually called Inside Out. So you know, we t- we took an like we took an event, say New Year's Eve in Times Square, and we did a deep dive on behind the scenes of Times Square so deep that we went to Ireland where they make the crystals, the water for crystals. And those are the things that go on the ball. Hundreds of those water mm. for crystals go on the ball. 
Jeez. And, you know, it's not just crystal because they have to survive super high heat on the inside and super cold on the outside. So it was like going to that factory in Ireland, seeing how they make those, everything from the FBI sealing manhole covers, snipers on the roof. We got to experience all that. And on New Year's Eve, when it was showtime for us to like put it all together, you know, I was able to be there and experience it with Cindy Lauper. <laughs> it was kind of oh fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so wait, this New Year's? No, this this is a. Uh, I would say this is probably just because I was gonna say I saw yeah. her this New Year's this, and that wasn't no. fun for me. <laughs> no, this is probably like, I uh, felt I is, felt terrified actually. This is probably going back fifteen years or so. Didn't you tell me one time, like, I remember getting a call, uh, you telling me when we, we met up in person that, like, you were, like, shooting something, and you were in a helicopter crash. Was that for Discovery? So that was after Discovery. Okay, I was gonna say, how are you omitting this right now? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit further down the line, um, and that was a crazy experience in my life. Uh, like, what the fuck? So from Discovery, I left Discovery, you know, just, it was time to move on. I think I was there for about 10 years. Uh, time to move on. And I went into the reality genre. So a little bit of reality TV. We know a few anybody. of those people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this show, which definitely does air in the U.S. and did well, was called Campus PD. Mm. Where we, okay, yeah, yeah. It was sort of cop. It was cops for college kids. So I did a couple of seasons of that. That seems like very weird considering like I, I feel like you're the last dude to be like, dude. You have weed in your room. You're out of school. You're losing your scholarship. Like, I felt so bad for some of these kids. I'm just saying, I can imagine the empathy. That was me. Yeah. That, that was me. you, man. You're totally like <laughs> listening to the dead smoking weed. And now but, you're, you're narking on those fuckers with a camera. But here, here's the thing is I wasn't dumb enough to do some of the things that these people did. Like I went to go smoke a, smoke a joint in the middle of the street, taking a construction cone putting on my head and trying to direct traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so I've those done it a few times. Yeah. I've never been arrested for that. <laughs> so those are the people that we, you know, sometimes nabbed. Here's a, here's a, here's a great little anecdote on this. And one of the best bus we did. And I felt so bad for this guy, but he pulled such a maneuver. We were driving along and we, we saw a drug deal go down. It was a college kid selling to another college kid. We pull over and we ask him, what's in your pocket? And he's like, nothing, nothing in my pocket. Do you mind if I search you? No, you can't search me. Do you mind if I search you? Okay, this is the police. I'm just documenting this. Hmm. Um, can I search you? No, I can't search you. Has the acid hit yet? So, no, he was the dealer. <laughs> I'm saying for you. <laughs> like how crazy would that be <laughs> oh god could you imagine so what this guy in his head thought was that if I pee in my pants they're not going to search my pockets so right there on camera he peed in his pants it's not suspicious at all no not suspicious at all so you know what the, you know what the cop did put on a rubber glove <laughs> well, anyone anyway. that's ever watched Discovery knows that you can drink your pee because it's sterile <laughs> yeah so technically, at the end of the day, so, there's worse things you could touch on a right. on a show like that, like spiders. Yes. You know, I I think I think about this. You know, when when I used to watch Cops and in in a similar genre, how <laughs> does the production look on that? Like, is it just driving around hoping to get lucky, going through you know tapes and tapes and tapes until you get that one good scenario? 
That is exactly what it is. And 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 honestly, on that show, it there was nothing faked. It was one hundred percent real. It was myself, two camera, and an audio. So it was a crew of four people and a production assistant. What we did was Was this your brainchild? No, it definitely was not my brainchild. This was a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you get your leads? Like, how would you know that this person is probably a drug dealer and we need to follow them? Like, how does so that work? We pretty much were embedded with a police department for okay. a month straight. We would work Wednesday to Sunday every night from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m., 5 a.m. And just fingers crossed, hopefully something happens. Did they eat a lot of donuts up there in Canada at the police station? Well, this was all in the U.S. They would so never yes, do they ate a lot of donuts. They did. They would never do a show. <laughs> they wouldn't do a show like that in Canada. First of all. Uh, wait, why not? <laughs> What's here, the difference? I, and here is, here's my theory. Is that even though, so in order to be on TV, if they're arrested, they're caught doing something bad, I need to get their signature as a release form. So Sounds like a fun job. It was it was tough at times, you know, and if they were if they were overly intoxicated. How do you pitch that? How, like, how do you pitch what? Oh, them, to, okay. them, like you go, hey, I know you're being arrested currently, but if I could just get your uh, old signature right here, we'd like to put your face on TV. You know what? It, <laughs> it was not easy at times. And I had to spend a lot of time doing some convincing. I even had to go to a jail cell and and, you know, like give them a story and say, like, hey, I was young. I was dumb. I did the same thing. It's not too bad. So now I just want to exploit you on television. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make it your worst nightmare so that everyone can watch you in 4K. It's, it's going to air once. Don't worry about it type of thing. That's but so crazy. Here, here's the thing about Canadians. Did you ever feel like you were Americans. like the devil doing that? I did. I felt bad. I, I feel like that's not your character because you're such a nice like person that you're like, here, listen, everything's going to be fine. We're just going to totally make you look like a total absolute <laughs> idiot on television and then make your stupid crime available to everybody forever and then make it like an infinite thing. So even when you die, your legacy is going to be your stupidity. It, Do it that. Was I one time did something stupid at a Dave Matthews concert. Look over here. Yeah, exactly. Look, look, look over here. Yeah, it was a learning experience. You know, um, I, I don't regret anything I did. And... And, and I never coerced people to the extent where, you know, I forced them. And like I was saying before, if they were overly intoxicated, I would not allow them to sign anything. I would find them the next day because I knew where they I lived. Find them. I would find them. I would. I would find them the next day and, and, and do my convincing. And I was wow. like, if you post my bail, I'll consider signing. Like, this. what do you yeah. show up like looking like when you convince people? Like, do you have like, are you in all black? Do you have like crazy, like, you know, Tom Ford glasses you pull off and you're like Morpheus? And, no, like, you're I, like, yeah, I, man, I, I would be just like them. That was, you know, yeah, that I, I, I would be just like them. And, 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 and that was my pitch is that we've all sort of been there, done that. The cameras were there. We caught it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Let's just do this. What was the reaction to the cameras in general? Because like no one on cops or on those shows ever like looks at the camera and goes, why? Why is there a camera pointed at me for mm -hmm. the, this like, you know, traffic stop? <laughs> so a lot of the time they do, will do that, but we keep shooting. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll edit that part out where, you know, they question the cameras. They say, get away, get away, get away. Mm -hmm. We keep shooting because, again, we cannot use it until they sign. So we keep shooting in the hopes that me, I could convince them after the fact to sign it if it's a good enough story 
this so, seems awfully invasive. <laughs> it is. It's it, it. It definitely is. But you know, everything was done in public. We never yeah. went to people's houses. Maybe it's, you shouldn't sell drugs. <laughs> right. Maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't put a pile on your head and uh, take a, you know, steal from a construction site and walk down the street. <laughs> So how long were you doing that that show and um, what was kind of like the turning point for you to transition into your next project? Like how did that one kind of end and how did you move on to the next thing? Well, as it was said, it was kind of prefaced before. Um, I got into a bit of an accident on that show. So on that show, oh, and, right, and, yeah. and you know what, like yeah, this is in all seriousness, it was, it was very tragic. There was somebody died. My cameraman passed away. Um. We oh always took aerial shots of wherever we were. So, you know, we took a helicopter and did some aerial shots and things didn't go as planned. Things uh, went wrong and we crashed and I survived. Oh my God. What was, I, but what, uh, was that, what was that like? Like, can you tell us like what, like what it was like when you were up there, you're shooting and then like, how did you know things were fucking wrong? You know what? That's something that your brain just like pops out. Like it just it's, I remember up until the f time where you know something's going to go wrong and then your brain just shuts down until the next thing I remember as I'm on the ground in the weirdest position in like a tremendous amount of pain. And I remember being pulled out by firefighters. And then I woke up the next in probably f a few days later than that. Oh, wow. In, in really bad shape. Pretty much everything from my hip to my shoulder was broken. Spine, pelvis, <gasps> everything. Wow. It was, it was, it was bad. So, so what, what was the cause of that? So the cause, you know, most likely was um, just overloading the helicopter and then inexperienced in a drive, inexperienced in a pilot, in, in flying with a cameraman hanging out the side. Because that's typically what we do is like yeah. when we shoot so, that so stuff, wait a minute. the cameraman's we, hanging so out. So your yeah. cameraman was hanging out the side Correct. of the helicopter, Yes. which caused too much gravity no. things, well, inertia, whatever. No, but, it, but, but he's, he's hanging out, <laughs> and when you guys go down, he's outside. Ben, don't try to explain helicopter. it. Why don't you let him explain it? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to envision it. I know. So, the, so typically the way Guitar filming player. works from helicopters, um, if you don't have like a proper camera mount on the front is you'll have your cameraman in a seatbelt. We duct tape the seatbelt so they can't pull the lever as a backup. They're out the side filming. And, you know, we, we hover the helicopter in a certain position and we film statically in a certain position for a while while he's out the side. I'm in there telling the pilot and telling the cameraman, okay, we need this element. We need this element. Let's do this. So I think really what it came down to was it was a shitty helicopter. The pilot didn't have the experience he needed for uh, flying with a door open with a cameraman filming. And next thing I know, we're on the ground. Jeez. Oh my God. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, that's intense. And who's responsible for that? Like who, like when something like that happens, who the fuck is responsible? Cause I would just be beside myself, especially if I find out like, it was a bullshit helicopter or, you know, the, the, the guy had, it's his second day on. And meanwhile, you're doing like advanced stuff right. and it's your team. That's, that's been impacted by this craziness. Yeah. You know what? There's a lot of blame that goes on, you know, the production company, why they hire this guy? I had no saying that they, they set it all up. 
I sort of just walk on and, and do it. Um, there's pilot error. And again, that helicopter was not designed for, for doing that type of stuff. So there's, there's just a, wow. a cascade of bad luck. Yeah. So but good luck for me because I'm here. How did, how did you recover after that? So what was the process like? I don't know if that's what it you were going to ask, Corey. But. It was a long recovery. And, and honestly, the thing that saved my life is I've always been big into fitness. So what kept me alive and, you know, what kept me going was my fitness level. What held my back together was my back was super strong and my muscles kept my spine aligned. Uh, I was able to, I was able to rebound pretty quickly. You know, it took a good six months. Six months for like, dude, I literally pull a muscle in my, oh my back gosh, now yeah. and I I, I, I'm years. gone for six months. You literally destroyed <laughs> half of your body and you're like, yeah, it's fine. Like, dude, you look great. Okay. I, I, I worked hard. I worked hard. I worked super, super hard because is there, is there anything that's affected like permanently from this or like, are you fucking just good? I'm, I'm good. I'm like, you know, my back always hurts, yeah. but I just, well, so is mine. I, I deal with that. Did but, they um, give I'm, you any I'm like diet, like any like? Did they tell you that maybe you weren't going to be able to walk or anything like that, or was it always? They, yeah, they didn't think they didn't think I was going to survive the night. To tell you the truth, they told oh, uh, they told wow. my family, you need to drive from Toronto to Pennsylvania and get here fast because Paul's not going to survive the night. So, holy shit! But I did. Well. We're glad, man. Wow. We're, yeah, like, no, we're glad uh, you're here to talk. What about a real it, miracle, a, honestly. Like, wow. Seriously, yeah. It, it Do you really get is. workers' comp for that? <laughs> I was, and does someone so, follow you around and watch your Twitter and make sure that you're not doing anything? They're like, he's too well. He's well enough to work. He's in like Miami, chilling by the South Beach, <laughs> even though you're like, like a full Terrible. body cast. I was I was freelance at the time, so I really didn't get much. I oh, got shit. like I got I got government unemployment. Um, How's that? Oh my in gosh, but. Or is it American unemployment? Same thing. I think it's basically the same thing. I don't. I, so again, it's so long ago. I don't remember what we were we were getting. But yeah. with uh with a, an event like that, um, yeah. In terms of your life, do you do you view that as a, a before and after type of thing? Is that is that like a huge part, or is, is you know because of the way you were able to recover quickly, are you able to com- compartmentalize that as just you know a tragic event? I th- I, yeah, I think that's exactly it. it. You know, it was like a small chapter of my life that I totally want to put behind me. It took, mm-hmm. I have been in a helicopter since. It took me a while to jump back into a helicopter. The first time I got into a helicopter after that was with the military. So I felt totally secure. Right. And like, yeah. it, the Canadian I, military or the, the, Cana- the US the Canadian, military? The Canadian military. So I figured if I'm going to jump sure? back into a helicopter, I'm positive. If I'm going to jump back, were they responsible for the spruce yeah. goose? <laughs> What's the spruce well, goose? You don't remember that stupid giant fat plane that like got like 60 feet and then like nose dived because it was like so fat in like the 30s? No. <laughs> they made a movie about it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because it was fat. No, well. it was a giant <laughs> plane. It was like the biggest plane they had ever made. And first off, I don't think it's Canadian. I was just being a asshole but like no it was like it's called the spruce goose like i think it went like 300 feet and then crashed because it was like just too big and it wasn't engineered well Uh, would you fly in a plane called the spruce goose (laughs) dude i wouldn't i don't want to fly in a plane i don't even want to be here i don't think you want to leave your your house to be honest so forget even getting on a plane i mean i I, it's it's one of those things where it's like i i've been on well you know it's it 
it's crazy because my my grandfather was a pilot. Uh, my dad uh, was a pilot, but really? my grandfather actually passed away in a plane crash because he uh, he had a small plane and one of the engines blew, and my grandmother and grandfather, you know, passed away. So it's like, yeah, it was weird, but like I grew up flying, so I, I did, it 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 didn't bother me, and it was only like one time that I think I remember like I. One guy, when I was in, working at Circuit City in another lifetime, we're, we were flying to like Richmond, Virginia, because that was where the corporate headquarters was. And he was like, "How do you fall asleep?" Like, and then just wake up, and then he's like white knuckling it straight the whole way. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think about how like you know people I know have crashed on planes, and then I just fall into oblivion and wake up, and I'm there. And that I think that that's just like a weird way of just like taking the worst feelings and then just making fun of it but even at the same time it still like hurts you because you still have to face it but life goes on so you have to get back on the plane and you have to get back in the helicopter if that's what you want to fucking do exactly. and your perseverance is ridiculous dude it's unbelievable Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah i think that definitely says a lot that you're able to do that so uh yeah and that was a dark way okay. of getting to that right yeah it was it was it was it was tough it was tough on me it was tough on my family it was yeah. tough to jump back in the saddle again to get back to work after that um but yeah it's so what history. was what was you know your next move after you you know were recovered and feeling you know back to yourself so from there i decided to settle down a little bit and uh get into news which yeah. is sort of segue into where i am now so in in uh one of our major networks you know sort of like a a cnn type thing where we you know it's 24-hour news channel i produced a business show and a medical show for that network and you know it's a weekly business show and a weekly medical show it's pretty low-key lots of interesting information and from there it was uh on to investigations Mm. So that's where I've been for, I think, about eight years now. Wow. So in the business and the medical show, were you directing the content? Like, what was sort of your job description and your involvement on the production? I was. I was one of the senior producers on that show. Um, so, yeah, we would, you know, we would figure out topics to do. We would have, uh, you know, I would find the guests. I would film all the elements. We'd have a, our main doctor sort of, you know, the Canadian version of a Sanjay Gupta, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like okay. the the... The national doctor would would host a half hour show every week and and have two or three topics that you know was public interest. So uh, yeah, I, I was in the driver's seat for those shows and business too. I like I learned to really enjoy teaching business to people who really didn't understand things. You know, I made the show super easy to understand, like basic stuff like what is a stock. I did a whole show <laughs> on that that people loved because yeah. you'd be surprised. What is a stock? You know, yeah, like was this no, would this have been? I'm in not surprised. I'm a, I'm a guitar player. I'm surprised <laughs> when people actually like. I talk to people and they're like, "I read this book," and then insert something intelligent here. I'm like, "You did? You can read?" <laughs> so. Well, no. I was going to ask was this was this in the era of of social media? Because now, of course, everyone goes to YouTube to learn everything. So I feel like you know, doing stuff in TV or radio or whatever where you're educating people, especially pre that, would have been super cool. It, you know what? It was it was during that time, and the shows got canceled. Mm. Because, oh. <laughs> because that's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening. Uh, yeah, interesting. Television's being it, devalued by YouTube. It's really we're in a For really sure. we're in a really really tough spot now. You know, we just had a massive amount of layoffs two weeks ago at my company. Just it's it's hard to make ends meet when 
people want their content for free. Yep. People don't want to yeah. pay for it. It's things. almost like music, Paul. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. It's the it No, is. it's everything. People, everyone wants everything for free. <laughs> right. But I think music's turning a corner, you know, with Finally. Music's turning a quarter. I think people are seeing the value in that. People are paying for Spotify. People are paying for Apple Music in in pretty big numbers. That's and, that, and, that's and good, they, but but remember that they're paying for yes. that and that's going to uh someone one guy. most likely someone is not the musician. Yeah, nobody okay. yeah. so, so so tell me tell me your point of view. What's well, I mean, so, so, so for for, for example, like Aloe Black, I think he was streamed 433 million times. I, I think it's like some crazy absolutely insane time like Wake Me Up, the Avicii song mm-hmm. and made like $5,000 that's absolutely insane. So saying like, oh yeah, I support by Spotify. No, they need to figure out better ways to um, empower artists and all that. And and a guy like David Ellison from Megadeth, who we had had on our show, has met with like the Grammy committee to try to figure out incentives. But as far as the reason you're seeing a a, a turning in the music industry, I think it's because there's a whole generation of people that are now alive and playing music that have never paid for music. And now they're like, dude, how, how do you make it? How do you do stuff? Like, what do you do? And you're, they're having to figure out and be entrepreneurial because music has been so devalued that like even giving it away for free is not enough um, right. to keep people's bandwidth. So yeah. it's a very it's a very hard thing. But I mean, I, I think what it comes down to is that they need to figure out ways to give back the people who are streaming. So yes. all the provi- internet providers need to figure out a way to somehow incentivize uh, the people, the the writers, the musicians, all the breakdown sheets that you have um, based incrementally on what's happening. And it can't be some like pennies on the dollar, like you have 33 million views and that's when you start making like enough money to pay your electric bill. Yeah. Like, And that's literally the insane level of, because like, I know people who have 100 million views on YouTube who they're not making, they're not living off of that. If I had a hundred million anything, I should be living off of it. So there's a serious breakdown. And you, from the eighties where people were getting paid millions to do records. Now they not only expect you to do it yourself, they expect you to like tour yourself and to do pretty much everything. And then they'll just take their cut by giving you distribution when you can distribute yourself anyhow. Yeah, it's a broken system. And for music, for television, I think for the arts in general, it's yeah. a broken system. There's entertainment in general. Yeah, there's 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 yeah. very little value put on the people who actually make the content. Yeah, I, what I think about is funny about the the television stuff is we kind of had this nice little uh, period of time when uh, these streaming services started that you thought that oh maybe I can like just get you know because everyone hates cable. Like fuck cable. I don't want to. I don't want to pay all this money for, for for channels that I'm not going to watch. So yep. you get you get you know you have Roku, you get Netflix and Amazon, all these cool things. And it was kind of this nice little oh, this is what it's going to be like. I'm just going to pay for the things I want. And then you know all of a sudden now every single network's coming up with their own streaming service. So now people have to decide. Oh, I get this month I'm going to watch my CBS shows and like right. then I'm going to cancel that and right. I'm going to go over and get Hulu and watch those shows. And so I think overall between the music television entertainment movies film i mean the movie industry is screwed now that people they're releasing movies you know direct my 15 year old literally like had me go to her room and what we she like streamed movies that were like still in the theater yeah so like 4k with no interruptions absolutely beautiful quality i'm like are you theaters are screwed theaters are screwed now so this whole like industry uh, you know entertainment is is got a 
there has to be some sort of equilibrium that Absolutely. we have to but, find. Otherwise, but, it's going to change the way that stuff's made. Where Where do you guys get your news? Facebook. I mostly memes. read like, yeah, like New, like New York Times or Wall Street Journal stuff, like inter- okay. like articles. No, because that's the thing with Facebook or social media. You just get bombarded and it is kind of like a feedback loop. So I try to avoid getting news on social media. But yeah, I mean, I don't really watch TV either, to be honest, for news. Yeah, it's funny. I have a Google feed that that gives me news, but I know that it's curated just to show me what I want to see. But I also right. I worked in news radio for a decade and I try to avoid news as much as possible, except for the things that are going to affect me. So right. like I, I do kind of self curate what I see uh, as far as like the things that are important to me. But it's it's definitely I mean, if, if I'm flipping through and I see news on TV it, it, for the most part, unless it, lo- local news, I think is, is still OK. But any network news for the most part is is very upsetting. Just seeing some of the bullshit that that is out there. It's it's totally changed like a uh, network network news. Like I, I will, I'll say that, you know, the six o'clock shows, the 11 o'clock shows that are just giving you the news. Mm-hmm. Those are still incredibly important in our society and need to be supported. But the networks that are opinion driven, that's what they are. It's not news anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, the networks have taken like divisiveness and they're like, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that because they have to create chaos. There has to be some sort of discord. And if like, you know, Fox and CNN were agreeing on everything, then they couldn't vilify the other. And that's not good news because you can't keep people engaged. Yeah, cool. Do you see a, Do you see a difference between the approach of like uh, American versus Canadian news networks? Because I wonder if a lot of it is just kind of an American thing, because I feel like in other kind. I mean, of course, it exists, but I feel like there is a big difference between American news and other news stations in other countries. It is like night and day. Hmm. Okay. Our news channels are the news. <laughs> there are some opinion mm-hmm. shows, but 99 percent <laughs> of the news on our news channels is the news. They're giving you the news without an opinion, facts, and that's what it is. Third party that's, omniscient. There's, 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 yeah, no, that doesn't happen here. I mean, it, I really it does, don't it think it doesn't does. happen. It doesn't. And I'm a news junkie. I I watch yeah. news all the time, all day, all night. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's bad. I, 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 it's what I do. It's what I love. It could have been video games. Um, it could have been video games. Um, but yes, it's, we, we get every American network. We get Fox, we get CNN, CNBC. They all are skewed in a certain direction and they now cater to their viewer. Yeah. They're yeah. 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 It's a, it's a hundred percent. So what are like what would be some of the structural differences in the news stations between the U.S. and Canada, let's say, because I'm sure obviously, you know, to me, I consider American news TV like entertainment. You know, they're living off advertisers, whatever's going to get the clicks, the yep. watchers, the viewers. So, uh, you know, it's obviously going to be easy to cater to whoever is your highest bidder. Is it different in Canadian news networks? Is like where is the revenue coming from? The, rev- the revenue revenue streams the same thing. Um, okay. There is some government support. For our news, it's all part of. Um, and that's your government back. corrupt. No, well, every government's corrupt, right? Well, because it's just a presupposition <laughs> they, there. No, so th- the reason why I say our government supports a lot of our news is because neighbors to the south, the U.S. is the media king. You guys produce so much, and if there was no funding for Canadian TV, 
we would have there's no way we could keep up. Well, isn't Twitter free? Mm. Yes, Twitter's free, but where's the source? Donald Trump. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no longer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so there there's, you know, it is basically the same. There's it's it's mostly revenue driven by ads with a bit of government support for for our newscasts just because we need it yeah. otherwise we we'd be gobbled up yeah, yeah. We, would have, we would have nothing so is there an agency since it, because it's getting government support is there an agency that will regulate sort of what the news stations have to adhere to in terms of content and so you know there, how it's pitched there is an agency but they they have no say in what is said on they they're totally autonomous they they set rules it's it's called canadian content where you have to have a certain amount of canadian content on your networks uh canadian produced canadian shows there has to be a certain amount of canadian content that's all they say they will never tell you what needs to go on the news and you know even though we get some money from the government my job is to hold the government accountable my god my job is to hold every level of government accountable industry accountable when people are doing bad things i need to make that clear to them that we're watching you interesting what uh does accountable kind of mean you that? the same thing in canada as it does in the united states yeah why wouldn't it <laughs> i a- i would i i just have been watching the news sometimes and i that's why it might not yeah no one's held but- accountable here hot take ben <laughs> <laughs> Right. And you know what? A lot of people aren't held accountable here, but we bring topics to light. So I had I had a question. I, it's 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 gone into the ether at this point. Um, okay. I, 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 okay. So oh, no. what, what is it? You mentioned that you um that you you know you have this. Your job is to expose people, and and like that seems like that's a in, ingrained um, attribute of yourself. What what about? that kind of work and that kind of responsibility, you know, where'd that come from for you? Hmm, good question. So where did that come from? I, I just, again, I love the news. And, but the thing I like about the news and, and, and sharing the news is not the, the one and a half minute story. Mm-hmm. It's the half hour story. It's uh-huh. like really telling my subject story so is it like a truth thing like more so than like news kind of it can be this big you know oh the stock market went up today but is it more like getting to the bottom of the story and exactly and And that's what i do i do long format investigative journalism so every story i do is 30 minutes or an hour long where if i have a victim i'll i'll get into the victim's life i'll be able to talk about their time before so another story i'm working on right now is is medical errors like medical mm. malpractice and just wow. and the fact that in Canada it's a lot we're not a suing culture here and for victims to get compensation is incredibly difficult where there's some blatant errors and there's some repeat offender doctors that you know probably shouldn't be practicing or probably shouldn't be doing things so it's it's a, it's a, it's holding the system to accountability 
So as someone that's kind of producing the news, um, mm-hmm. do you have to cover a certain range of topics or where do you get your leads? Like what, like what does a strategy session look like for that? Like what, real I'm news. just interested to hear, yeah, like how you come up with, like what is the news that we're going to cover? Because that's, that's such a huge topic. Like you could cover so many different things going on. How do you choose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for my, for my show specifically, uh, we have a team of, I guess there's about five producers, a couple of associate producers that sort of all work together. And we spend a good three months researching stories and we have a pitch session where we take the best of them and, you know, and our executive producers like go after these stories, go get it. Um, you know, I try and bring these stories up and the ones I feel strongly about you know, we're given the freedom to go for it. Can you give us some examples of like recent stories or stories that were really interesting to you that, you know, some of the longer format, it's just interesting to hear yeah. the process. So let, let me tell you about the story. I didn't work on it, but I, f- I find, I found it incredibly compelling and, and it's a topic that needs to be dealt with. Uh, last week we had a story on rape kits. So if a woman gets raped, she goes to a hospital and there's a whole forensic examination that happens. And what was discovered in Canada is that 50%, uh, I don't know the exact percentage, but there's a big percentage of hospitals that do not have access to those rape kits. Wow. So if a woman goes through a terrible experience like that, sometimes in order for her to get justice, she would have to go to the police. And that's sometimes the last place a traumatized victim would want to go. They would want to be in the comfort of a hospital. They would want to have somebody take care of them, you know, with compassion versus a a male police officer, you know, they may not feel comfortable with that. So the story brought to light that not every Canadian hospital has rape kits available. Uh, Some, some very Northern remote locations in Canada, they would have to fly the patient somewhere to get a proper forensics done, Mm -hmm. which in, in a traumatic, like some victim who's been traumatized, it's not right. So the story brought that to light. So uh, that's an incredibly important story to tell. I didn't work on it, but yeah, it was, it was very powerful to me. When you do stories like that, have you noticed that, that, that real change is happening? I'm just always curious, you know, cause you see these things on the news and I always wonder like, you know, what actually happened after that? Like, did, did people really like think, okay, we got to like change this. Do you follow up on those things to so- see? Yeah, sometimes they do. Like sometimes, sometimes we push for policy change and, and, and it happens. You know, hey, if one hospital administrator sees this and says, we're going to get these $80 rape kits and train one nurse to, to administer that, it's, it's done its job type of thing. Are we able to tell across the country the metrics? No. Um, sure. you know, sometimes our show has been able to, to push policy change, uh, money laundering. We did a big story on, on money laundering in real estate and that helped drive some change. How, you know, foreign nationals would come in and launder money through our real estate. Mm. So, wow. Why do you have to call me out? So like when I'm just about to make some money, dude, like <laughs> that was such a good call, man. Washington in Canada. Well, yeah. Washington, that was the name yeah. of our next record. Washington in Canada. There you go. <laughs> so it's you not know. as diluted anymore. The, the actual exchange rate, it's surprisingly in your favor by comparison to how it was when, when you first came over. Here. Slightly. Yeah. U.S. dollar is still very powerful. 
Maybe, so, maybe, maybe more now this month. Right. But our yeah. money's plastic now, so our money will last longer. Yeah, that's why you should get a Bitcoin. Interesting. <laughs> oh, Bitcoin is different world. Yeah, no, yeah. Right. <laughs> So we we got about five minutes left in this in this part one. That's yeah. I think we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> you've, Absolutely. You've got you've got yeah, a pretty crazy story. Yeah, we had a great story. overview. Uh, in the next yeah. in the next part, I I would love to learn more about what goes into the investigation side of your job. Mm-hmm. So maybe sure. when we come back there, we can really dive deep because I, I think that everyone sees the the final product, obviously, mm-hmm. in their in the nice buttoned up thirty to sixty minute form format. But like you said, it's it's months of you know preparation and and all this all this work goes into it. So it'd be cool to learn a little bit about that. Um, but before we go, uh, you know what, you know if we have uh, any viewers and listeners in Canada, uh, like. Where where can they you know see what you're doing and, and how can people find you? So the show the show is 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 pretty well known. It's called W Five, the five W's: who, what, when, where, why, um, and it's on one of our national broadcasters. So every Saturday night, seven p.m. for one hour. Very cool. And and, and we're and, and we're and we're on YouTube. You could search up W Five. You can find us on YouTube and you'll get all of the shows we've done for the past seven to 10 years. Well, if you had, if you had to give one recommendation for people to start on, what would be the good hooky, the hookiest uh, episode you can think of off the top sticky. of your head? How oh, good, good question. Let me think about that. Can I tell all you right. on the flip side? Absolutely. You guys have to come <laughs> back for part two to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Paul just 2020 you in his own little yeah. passive Canadian <laughs> way. So you're just gonna have to stick around for later this week with Paul Haber. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 47, featuring television producer and winner of The Amazing Race, Alex Boylan. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, I would say travel's pretty much, like, defined me. It's like, at the end of the day, that that's, like, you know. I've been, I mean, you know, I think Bert and I, at one point, we went down to the... Dominican Republic like a, a few years ago first time like just taking a trip for not working and like we just circumnavigated the thing I'm just like let's just him and I go for somewhere because most of 99.9% of the time I'm in a location filming right and mm-hmm. even, even though amazing that is it's been a while maybe a few surf trips here and there that I actually don't travel all that much for myself and I'm I'm trying to get back there and we sat back and one night with tequila and we were like, let's go through and see. And we filmed in over 68 countries together. Like wow. it's unbelievable, yeah. right? And like, you know, and that's just, that was just two kids with like an idea, you know? Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. 
Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh, has impacted your life, uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind podcast.